cool. Me too. I talked to an air conditioner guy, actually a heater guy that came out and serviced my heater this week. And he's, uh, he's, I said, do you like the weather? And he said, no. He said, I don't make any money when it's, unless it's hot or cold. But I sure like the cool weather. Listen, I want to once again extend honor to Johnson Titus. His, uh, his brother Jameson is with Pastor Travis. is teaching in Nashville at our church there this morning. And, uh, but I just want to, you know, I, I live in America. I don't have to face the challenges for faith. I don't have a government at this point telling me what I can and cannot say, what I can and cannot do. However, if you listen to some of the Democratic debates recently, Beto O'Rourke says that if there are churches or religious institutions that don't agree with same-sex marriage, and I don't mean just agree, but embrace, support, and applaud, if you don't do that, you'll lose your tax exemption. So it could well come to America if we have a, a shift politically. But I want to applaud you for your courage to stand for Christ and you're willing to make a sacrifice. You'll meet very few people, and I hope you'll shake his hand before you go. You'll meet very few people that literally are involved in, in the scope of changing a nation. And uh, this family is one such family. Give them one more big hand today. <laughs> Acts chapter 12. I'm going to address the question today, why bad things happen to good people. Now, clearly we know the Bible teaches us that there's none righteous, no, not one. But yet at the same time, as we live for God, how many know, and we are doing good things and serving the Lord, sometimes bad things happen and we scratch our heads sometimes and can't figure out why. I'll try to help you with that today, but I want to begin in Acts chapter 12. It's one of the most marvelous stories in the Bible, a historical record. We sometimes think of the Bible as stories versus history, and history it is. There was a man named King Herod Agrippa, verse 1, began to persecute some believers in the church. And I want to condense this, the uh, passage just a moment. Uh, Herod, the king, arrested Peter, but while Peter's in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. I want you to notice that. And the night before Peter was to be placed on trial, knowing that it would be a mock trial, that he too would be probably killed as James was, he's asleep fastened with two chains between two soldiers. So get the picture. It's very visual. You have Peter, the man of God. He's laying on the ground. Two Roman soldiers, they stink. They're dirty. You know, they're, they're chained together with him, and he's in the middle. But notice what happens. Suddenly. Can you say suddenly? Yeah. Suddenly a bright light in the cell, an angel of the Lord stood before Peter, and the angel said, quick, get up, and the chains fell off his wrists. You may say, boy, chains must not have been any good. No, God was just stronger and better than the chains. God just spoke a word and they fell off. The angel told him, follow me. And they passed the guard post, come to the iron gate leading to the city, and it opened all by itself. You say, well, that's impossible. No, not with God. They started walking down the street. Peter finally comes to his senses and says, it's really true. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me. It is one of the most miraculous passages in the Bible. It makes us believe that when Christians pray, anything is possible. When Christian, it, it inspires me to believe for miracles in my own life as well. And I hope it does in yours as well. But I must confess I did something. I skipped a verse. And it's this verse, verse 2, that's the crux of my story. In our life, in the Christian life, we sometimes want to just focus on the good things that happened and we 
will face bad things that happen and we scratch our heads and wonder why. We don't know what to say about it. We don't know how to process it. We just keep moving it on. But somehow the why question eats away at us. Here it is, back in verses, uh, verse 1, when King Herod began to persecute some believers. Now here's verse 2 that I skipped. He had the apostle James killed with a sword. Nine short words, James' life is over. No explanation why James died and why Peter was released. You must assume the church was praying when James was in prison as well. But yet for James' life, it was over just like that. Why is that? How do I understand that as a Christian? You know, when we look at the story, when Peter came to the house where the believers were, they didn't even believe it was him. You know, there was a girl, her name was Rhoda, opened the door. She told everybody it's Peter, and they said, no, it can't be Peter. Peter's in jail. They didn't even believe their prayers would be answered, but they were. I want to suggest to you that it's quite likely James was married. It's quite likely James had children. And it's quite possible that that family was upstairs in this celebration of Peter, but yet asking the question, why was my daddy not saved? Why did God not do a miracle for my daddy? Did God love Peter more than he loved my dad? How many can understand where this why question can take us? Well, This is where I want to go this morning. I want to kind of look at it head on. Uh, I've entitled the message, Why and What Now? Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you five clear biblical reasons why, if I can say it tongue-in-cheek, bad things happen to good people. One of them is universal. Four of them are, are, are event-oriented, but individual events. But in all of this, I don't intend it's going to be comprehensive. But many times we get in a situation where we don't know why, and the big question is, what am I going to do now? What choice am I going to make when I am supposed to have another surgery, as you did just a few days ago? I've had surgeries before. I was prayed for, and the doctor says I need another one. Why is this happening in my life? The bigger question than why is what do I do now? Do I keep faith in God? Do I still believe that God is good and loving? Or do my circumstances undermine my faith in God as a good and loving God? Well, this is what we're going to explore why and what now? And let's begin with the first one. The first one is the root cause of all evil. And if you don't hear anything else that I say today, I want you to hear this first point. Because this will help you understand the source and the cause of all evil in the world. Whether it's a miscarried baby, whether it's a tornado, whether it's a war in Chechnya, whatever the case is, this, the, the source of this can be traced to, to this event in world history. Uh, bad things happen because of sin and the fall of man. Man, generic for human beings, Adam and Eve. I want you to go with me, Genesis chapter 3. We're in the Garden of Eden. It is a perfect place. Adam and Eve walk with God every day. They had close fellowship with God. There were no mosquitoes. There was no IRS agents. There were no, there were no snakes. There were no bad things that happened, no divorces. No rape, no murder in Eden. Everything was a perfect place. Nobody got sick. But something happened, and this is where humanity shifts. Genesis chapter 3, we're introduced to the serpent, the serpent personifying Satan himself. Somehow Satan, the fallen angel Lucifer, uh, uh, captivated, captured this living animal and spoke through it. But Scripture says the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that God had made. This serpent said to the woman Eve, Did God really say 
That's where doubt slips in and our questioning of our faith. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, or when you eat it, you'll die. Now, we understand death. We know that death is a cessation of life as we know it, but death was, is also a separation from God. Uh, Adam and Eve had no clue. It's like if I try to talk to you about heaven, no matter what I say, it's all abstract to you. If I try to talk to you about hell, it's all abstract. Songs have been written about hell, highway to hell, and I'm going to get high with my buddies in hell. It's just kind of out there. Eve, Eve didn't understand what death meant. She didn't know that you would go to the grave of a child that died of a childhood sickness. Eve didn't understand that a mom and dad would perhaps bury their parents. She didn't understand that one day one of their own children would take the life of another. And I wonder when Cain killed Abel and Adam and Eve found out, I wonder if they picked him up from the ground and tried to make him stand up and try to hold his arms up. They'd never seen death. So because of that, she thought she would take a chance. Satan said, God's not good and God doesn't want the best for you. So they ate it. They made a choice. They made a choice to sin against God or, or go against God's commandments. And here's what happened, verse 16. The woman, uh, 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 the result of her choice, to the woman, God said, with painful labor, you'll give birth to children. In other words, it's going to be hard for a woman to have a child. Uh, these are just some examples. Your desire will be for your husband. He'll rule over you. This is where the battle of the sexes uh, started. Of course, we understand equality in Christ, but it, this is where the sexual relationships, the genders are, are at war with each other. And then to Adam, verse 17, because you ate of the fruit of the tree which I commanded you, the ground is cursed. And through painful toil, you'll eat fruit from it all the days of your life. In other words, it's going to be hard to make a living. It's not always going to be easy to find a job. It's not always going to be easy to make your business go. You see all around our town, uh, young entrepreneurs, they start dress shops. They start bling shops. They start, you know, what else? All kinds of stuff, restaurants. And they go out of business because it's hard sometimes to make a living. Everybody's buying from Amazon. It's hard, painful toil. And then verse 23, it got worse. The Lord banished them from the Garden of Eden to work the ground. And then as I said in 4.8, Cain kills Abel. Sin, the fall of man, came into the world and changed our humanity's relationship with God. If I could perhaps illustrate, if this pulpit is man and if I represent God for just a moment, every day God would come to Adam and in the cool of the day and they would talk with each other. They had relationship just like we'll have in heaven one day. And in the cool of the day, perhaps Adam might come to God and just like a child would to his daddy and say, you see that animal with the real tall neck? I think I'm going to name him a giraffe. What do you think? Or maybe Adam found a fragrant flower. Uh, you know, I've got, uh, I've got gardenia bushes uh, growing at my home and they're still blooming. And I picked one yesterday and gave it to my wife. Maybe Adam picked it or maybe Eve picked it and said, would you smell this? It's so beautiful. But when they ate of that forbidden tree, it's like there was a, a separation between them and God. They pushed God away. They chose Satan's ways and rejected God. Now, God didn't just turn his back and say, forget you. But God stood back when the results of sin came in. 
Romans 6.23 says, The wages or the outcome of sin is death. And God watched them die. God watched the murders. God is still a good God. How many know for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. But God allowed humanity to live with the consequences of sin. And this is what I want you to understand today. There was no pain and heartache in the world. When something bad happens, listen, we tend to blame God but I would suggest to you that we take it to the primary source. If somebody dies, listen, it's not God's fault. It was Adam and Eve's fault, but go beyond that, it's the devil's fault. If you see a tornado that comes through a community and destroys it, and insurance companies say it's an act of God, no way it is. Listen, the devil is behind that. So you've got to understand the interplay between sin, the fall of man, and the bad things that happen to us that are we just inherited as part of the human race. Now that's the first point I make with you. And you might say, well, where is God in all this? Does God not care? I will suggest to you Jesus revealed the nature of God. When Lazarus died because of a sickness, Jesus knew it would end in the glory of God. But when he saw Mary and Martha, the Bible says in Mary and Martha, and they said, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. The Bible says Jesus wept. And I'm going to suggest to you the same compassion Jesus had then is the same compassion Jesus has now when you and I go through trouble and heartache and hardship and we wonder where God is. We are living with the consequences of sin, but God is still good and God is still loving and He's made a way to restore relationship through His Son, Jesus Christ. Give the Lord a good, a good hand. Now, now, that example affects all of us but this second example is akin to it because Satan is involved in this next one as well. I, I say it this way. Bad things happen because Satan attacks people. Now this is not the indirect way. Like I, my, somehow my DNA is broken because of Adam and Eve and one day I'll die. We do everything we can to fight it. I, I look in the mirror and I say, how did my father get in the mirror? You know, and of course, the world says you can just make all that go away. I saw the funniest advertisement. They're advertising something called Plaxiderm. And uh, they rub it on their face and they say, oh, I can't believe how good I look and my wrinkles went away. And I'm thinking, you still look like an old person. <laughs> the world tries to take it away, but it's there. That comes to us indirectly. But here's something I want to say. Sometimes Satan attacks us directly. As a Christian that's serving God, as someone who's trying to do right, sometimes you end up in his sights. I can't think of a better example than Job chapter 1. Let me read you the story as it unfolds. And as I read to you, don't just listen to a Bible story. Listen to historical accounts of what's happened in the world. Job 1 verse 6, In the unseen world, one day the members of the heavenly court, these are angels, they come to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, comes with them. Get the picture. Now, Satan was, has, has been cast out of heaven, but the Bible calls Satan the God with a little g, the God of this world, and he rules the powers of the air. So somehow Satan is involved. Now, the secularist, the humanist would tell us, if you can't see it or quantify it, if a telescope or microscope can't find it, then it's not real. But the Bible says there is a very real unseen world that demons and angels occupy. Well, in this case, you've got both demons and Satan coming before God. 
In verse 7, God says, where have you come from? And Satan answered, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Well, if it was true in Job's day, you think that could be true today? Sure it could. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless. He's a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Would to God that would be our testimony as a Christian. Verse 9, Satan replied to the Lord, yeah, but Job's got a good reason to fear you. You've always put a wall of protection around him, his home and his property. This is a picture of God's blessing. This is a picture when someone welcomes God in their life and God is near. God blesses their marriage. God blesses their family. God blesses their business and whatever their hand touches prospers. But sometimes Satan is able to intervene. Satan said, verse 11, if you take away everything he has, he'll curse you to your face. And I don't understand this fully. I can only explain this by this, I guess, perhaps question. The giant prize of, of history has been a relationship with humanity. It has been those that will either follow Satan in his evil ways or those that will willingly follow God. It is those who, as in Adam and Eve's case, rejected God. It is in now multiplied millions of people are accepting God through Christ and following him. But God said, okay, you can test him. I suggest if God allowed Job to be tested, he at times allows us to be tested. And the test comes in troubling ways. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. Satan eagerly went out. If you read the story, Satan destroys his business. He kills his children. And a few verses later, he takes Job's health from him. Much of the trouble we face is because Satan attacks us. I want you to hear me in this. Spiritual warfare is real. Some people are looking for devils under every rock. Listen, he, he may not be under every rock, but he's under some of them. He may not be behind every door. It's just like a policeman. If a policeman goes through an apartment complex for whatever reason, if they're looking for an intruder, they're looking for an escapee, he, if he knocks on a hundred doors, he may find 99 of those doors are safe and the people say, no, sir, he's not here. Would you like to look in? But behind one door is somebody standing with a gun waiting to take his life. Spiritual warfare is real. In the New Testament, Paul said in Ephesians 6.12, our fight is not against people on earth, but against the... We're not just fighting people. My problem is it's not my president. It's not a potential president. My problem is not a political party. My, my problem is not my boss. My, my problem is not... My problem is the demonic world that's behind, that's causing this insanity. He then goes on to tell us how to fight back against evil because it's very important. In this point, I simply want to tell you that when you're in trouble and facing hostile times... You need to really go to God in prayer and try to discern, is this spiritual warfare? Because if it is, you need to keep reading what Paul said and fight that battle in that way. Uh, let me read another scripture. Well, um, uh, Jesus, let me close with this one. Jesus said a couple things about the devil. When bad things are happening, you might want to consider. Jesus said in John 8 that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. 
If you want to understand a little bit about Planned Parenthood and the abortion debate and the politicians that want their money, doesn't it make sense that you should look to this scripture to understand who's the influence behind it? The same murderer that tried to kill the children when Moses was a baby, when Moses was born. The same king that had all the children two years and under in Bethlehem killed when Jesus was a baby. There's a murderer in this world. John 10, scholars liken this to Satan. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And listen, friends, he wants to come and steal, kill, and destroy from you. And sometimes trouble in our world is because of him. But how many know the Bible says in 1 John 4, greater is, him, is he that's in me than he that's in the world. The Bible says that one day, one day, Jesus said, I'm going to crush Satan underneath your feet. It's real. You don't have to be afraid of it, but you need to be aware of it. You need to respect it, and you need to fight fire with a greater fire. How many know Jesus is that greater fire? Now, let me, let me give you another one. Sometimes you can't blame the devil for everything, and you should probably punch your neighbor and tell him that you can't blame the devil for everything. How many know, listen, sometimes bad things happen because of our sin, our choices. We do things that go against God's ways, and it can get us in trouble. Let me give you a couple scriptures. John 5, Jesus had healed a bedridden man who had been bedridden for decades of his life. And later, Jesus finds the man and said to him, You're well now. Stop sinning so that something worse does not happen to you. Stop sinning or something worse may happen. I want to tell you this, friends. You and I can open a door. Sin can come in and it causes trouble in our lives. Uh, let me give you another example. Maybe you go to a funeral and there's a, I don't know, there's a, some guy, he's 30 years old, he's a Christian, he's serving the Lord, he teaches a Bible study. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a nice guy, you pray for him, he's sick, but he dies anyway. And you're at the cemetery scratching your head saying, I wonder why God didn't heal him. I wonder if this is possible sometimes. This is not all the time what I'm going to read you, but sometimes it is. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 29 Paul is teaching about the spiritual power in communion, the Lord's Supper. He said, if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ. Now, I preached on this a couple months ago. It's very, this should instill the fear of the Lord in you. I believe what he meant by not honoring the body of Christ. In that example, they came together for communion. It was a literal meal. There would be rich people that would bring a feast. There would be poor people that didn't have anything. And the rich would be feasting while the poor had nothing. And there was this great division and discord in the body of Christ. And then he wrote these words. Uh, Paul said, you're eating and drinking God's judgment on yourself. And then he makes this startling statement. That's why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. Now listen, is all sickness caused because of some action that I make? No. Listen, if a little baby's got the cooties and you're still kissing on that baby, you're probably going to get the cooties too. I mean, are, are you with me today? Now, those cooties really come back from Eden's fall, but that may not be a judgment against you. But there are some sicknesses, there are some even deaths that happen because of my willful behavior. I want to tell you, sin opens a door of destruction. You don't believe it opens a door of destruction. Listen, friends, the sin of adultery can destroy a family. Satan offers it as something appealing, something fun, something to give you a better life. When actually you get out of your marriage, it's broken, it's divorced, 
The person you end up with was not what they thought they were going to be. And now time with your kids for the rest of your life. Listen, sin opens doors of trouble. The sin of stealing can get you fired. The sin of pornography can make you a child molester and cause you to end up in jail. I am amazed at how many people in our newspaper end up on the front page having molested a child or in some fashion involved in child abuse. I wish this way, and, and, and I, just about the time I think it's not going to shock me, it does. There was, a, there was a favorite auntie, 50 some years old, and she had a 12 year old niece. And I guess auntie wanted some money, so she found an older fellow who wanted to have sex with an underage girl, her niece. So what she did is she gave the little girl alcohol, they got some pills, and she told the little girl, listen, we're just going to get him to drink, and then uh, 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 I'm going to get his money, and then we're going to go. Well, shit's not what happened. She let that guy sleep with that little girl multiple times. And then she ends up before the judge, and they give her a life sentence plus 70 years. You say, how can something like that happen? Sin. And I want uh, we don't talk about this a whole lot, but one of the greatest pulls into this sexually is pornography. Studies have been done that even so among us as Christians, the struggle that we have. And the problem is, pornography is popping up on most of my conservative websites. It's soft porn, but it's there. And if you just hit a button, what you did is it's like a hook on a fish. And you got a little bit of a hook. And it might be a small hook. You may spit it out of your mouth. But pretty soon it'll be a bigger hook. Are you with me? You understand about people that want to befriend you on Facebook? I used to just befriend everybody thinking that, well, you know, I post a daily devotion and, uh, 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 you know, it, it, somebody gets saved. And my wife said, you've got to stop doing that. Because once you befriend somebody, somebody else befriends them. And they go from me and then they go to Joe's website. And it says, Pastor John is their friend. And here she is, big voluptuous woman, saying, here's my phone number, come see me. It all looks fun. But it can bite you in the end. Let me give you a fourth thing why bad things can happen. I'm going to say this one this way. Bad things happen when we're in the boat with Jonah. Now you know the Old Testament story. Jonah chapter 1. Jonah's a prophet. Uh, God wants him to do something. He wants him to go to this place called Nineveh. And he speaks to him. Uh, Get up and go to Nineveh and preach against it. I see the evil things they do. Well, Jonah... For whatever reason, he got up to run away from the Lord. Now that's the phrase I want you to look at because if somebody you love is running away from the Lord, you're in the boat with them. You are related to them by marriage, by family. You're related to them in business. You're related to them in some fashion. Notice what happened. He's running away from the Lord. He finds a ship going to the city of Tarshish. If you can imagine in the Mediterranean world, on the, well, what would it be, on the far right side near the Jerusalem area, wherever it was that he got on, uh, uh, he, he's going to get on a boat in Joppa. He's going over here to Spain's where Tarshish is. It's the Mediterranean world. It's the furthest known part of the world. He's going to get as far away from God as he can. And maybe you have had a friend or a family member, a child, a spouse, that just went wild and crazy, knew better, but went wild and crazy. That's what's happening here. Verse 4, the the devil sent a great wind on the sea. Is that what it says? No, the Lord sent a great wind. 
The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, which made the sea so stormy, the ship was in danger of breaking apart. The sailors were afraid, and each man cried out to his God. Now, can you imagine being on a little wooden ship that's just doing this? Listen, you get on cruise ships today. I have friends that have been on cruise ships, said they've fallen out of the bed that the waves were so bad. Can you imagine being on a little wooden ship and boards popping off and water coming in and people scared you're going to die? I, I, a number of years ago, when I was about 30, in my early 30s, we were flying, uh, when we lived in California, we were flying from the Bay Area to Memphis to see my family in Mississippi. I'll never forget, we were on a Northwest, uh, that's when Northwest had an airlines, and uh, the turbulence started, and uh, I'm sitting by the window just to help the captain fly the plane. You, you, know, you, you know how that works. Those wings were flapping like a bird. And it was so bad, I heard my old sweet wife speaking in tongues out loud. I mean, it was, it was bad. <laughs> it, it was bad. There's times when you feel like you're going to die, but here's what I want to say to you. It wasn't these people's fault. It was Jonah's fault. And sometimes when someone you care about is running from God, trouble can happen to us because of their running. If mom has an affair, everybody's going to suffer. If dad becomes addicted to gambling, everybody's going to suffer. She's not going to be able to get her little cheerleading outfit because dad gambled it away. Are you with me today? This is the way that it works. You can love somebody but be affected by what they're doing. And this is a tricky one. But sometimes it's happening not because of what I've done, but sometimes I am somewhat innocent in it all. Uh, let me give you a fifth one. And this one is going to be very, very different. Remember, we've talked about several things today. We've talked about, and I hope you never forget this one, the first one, the why bad things happen because of the sin and fall of man. It is the one person you need to blame at the cemetery is not God, but the devil. The second thing, bad things happen because there's a really deliberate satanic attack. Bad things happen because of our sin. We make wrong choices. Bad things happen because we're in the boat with a Jonah. But here's this last point. Bad things happen as a part of God's sovereign plan. What do I mean by this one? I've got bad things in quotation marks because what my point in this one is God can use something bad to accomplish something good. And if it's ultimately going to end up good, it's kind of hard to call it bad. Are you with me today? It may not be fun and enjoyable. And, and let me maybe illustrate that with a personal example. You know, I love to duck hunt. Uh, a number of years ago, I had a little private place. It was a church member owned it in, near Ashdown, Aline. It was on the Little River, and it was in the bend of a river, a cypress slough. Every time I'd go, I'd get a limit. It was just wonderful. And then they sold the property, and I lost my place to go. And I would pray, and i said, well, the Lord will give me another one. Well, I didn't get another one. And I'm kind of thinking, well, phooey, Lord, what's wrong here? But over time, I began to develop relationships with a couple people who also liked the duck hunt, but the dish issue was their relationship with God was in a place where I could really help them. And it was almost like if I'd have kept my little place, I'd have probably gone there in secret. But going with my friends, everybody was helped. Are you with me today? Here's what I want you to see, how something bad can turn into something good. And I want you to see it through Genesis 37. There's a young man named Joseph. Joseph is a favored son. Joseph is a young man who'd had dreams that God was going to use him to do miraculous things, save his family. Now, Joseph's daddy was Jacob, also known as Israel, who was, the who was in the lineage of Jesus Christ. 
And God in his foreknowledge knew that there was going to be a famine one day to affect the whole world. He also wanted to get the Jewish people to Egypt so he could deliver them through Moses and the Passover paradigm. And God knew all that was coming, but there's some jealous brothers. Now let me show you just a picture and tell you Joseph's story. Uh, this is a picture of Joseph in a pit. And if you know the story, Joseph's brothers, Joseph is 17. They're jealous of him. They hate him. Joseph comes up in the wilderness, and they're so angry at him that they say, we're going to get rid of him, so they throw him in a well, and it's a deep, dark well. But go ahead, and he doesn't get, he doesn't get uh, uh, out of there until some slave traders come by. Now, these were not white people who had slaves. I mean, no, slavery's been here since the beginning. These were minorities that were, slave, that were, that were selling slaves, and, and uh, they bought Joseph for money. Now, you don't see this in the Joseph story, but you've got to know what's there. Why? Why am I in this pit? And why are my brothers selling me in slavery? We go a little bit further. A picture of Joseph is in Egypt. Of course, you know the story. Potiphar buys Joseph. Joseph has administrative skills from God. He runs his house, but then all of a sudden, because he's handsome, Potiphar's wife says, come to bed with me. He does the right thing and says no. And then she felt like she was mocked, so she said, he raped me, and now he's in jail again. And you can only imagine the depth of why that comes out of his heart. But he doesn't stay there. He starts serving in the prison, and before you know it, they're letting him manage the prison Pharaoh has a baker and a butler. You know their story. He throws them in jail because they're stealing. Joseph interprets their dreams, but they forget him and leave him in prison for two years. Now look at this next one. Joseph, uh, the, the, the uh, butler, scratches his head one day because Pharaoh has two dreams that are a picture of the world. And in Pharaoh's dreams, he dreams seven years of good years of plenty and seven bad years, but nobody can explain it. And the baker, butler's hits himself on the head and said, I know somebody who can. Joseph comes out of prison, and in one day, he's made the vice president of Egypt. I've got another little picture of him here, vice president. Well, where'd that come from? Well, anyway, I think that's a church play. But Joseph was not a rock and roll star. But Joseph was the vice president of Egypt. Now, here's where the whole story comes to conclusion. His brothers come because a famine is in the land. And guess who these brothers are going to be? They're going to be the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel through whom Jesus Christ would be born. They come for food, and guess who they find? They find the guy that they threw in the well, Joseph. Now let me read you this verse that brings it all together. Genesis 50, 20. You meant to hurt me, but God turned your evil into good to save the lives of many people, which is being done. You cannot understand that in those first 13 years. Those first 13 years, he was in prison, he was a slave, he was in jail. But when it ch finally changed, he understood when he saw his brothers, the hand of God was on his evil. I want to give you a scripture, how God does this. It's Romans 8, 28, and this should encourage everyone in this room. It says, we know, there's a certainty here, that for those who love God, say it with me, all things. Say it again. All things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say all things are good. It says all things work together for good. Let me illustrate it something from my own family's heritage. 
My grandparents were, lived in the Baltic state of Latvia in World War II. They had a 300-acre farm. Uh, my granddaddy was the postmaster. My grandmother was a, was a, was a, a, a teacher. And Russia decided to expand the Soviet Union and their empire, and they took over Latvia. And one of the first things they did was to take the guns from the people. Important thing to think about in today's modern debates. They took the guns from the people. Shortly after that, in the middle of the night, people from the uh, uh, Russian army come into his home. They're armed, and they take my granddaddy out. They barb wire his, him with other men. They take people, leading citizens from the city. They put them on a boxcar for Siberia. My grandfather tells this story. It shocked us when we recorded his life story. But he said in the train car in the middle of the night, he said, Jesus appeared to me and said, fear not. The next morning, the train stops. They take off the barbed wire, but they give them a shovel to dig their grave. And in the middle of this process of digging their graves, the Russian front shifts. Russians and Germans, of course, are at it. So they let them go. He runs back home. He gets his family, his wife, her mom. He has four children. And he brings, it puts them on a, 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 a horse and a buggy and a wagon with all they can carry, and off they go. They end up in Germany. Now listen, as she's going, she's a de dedicated Christian woman. She loves God. But when they get to Germany, two of their children are conscripted by the German army. She never sees them or hears from them again. They live as refugees for a while. They end up in New Orleans. Someone adopted them or, or sponsored them. They start working on a turkey farm. And they worked them way up till they saved enough money and they bought a dairy farm in, near Hernando where I was raised. And that's where my, my, my mom, uh, uh, their daughter, met my dad and they got married. And then little Johnny came along. But whenever you, would, I called her mama. Whenever you would see her, she didn't have a, a hint of bitterness on her face. Lost everything she had. Had to start over in a very humbling situation. Lost her two children. Had every right to be bitter or hateful, not only against uh, 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 Russia and Germany, but against God. But she didn't have that. And I remember when she was older, in the latter years of her life, lived to almost 100. I remember when I told her that I was going to go in Christian ministry and be a pastor. Tears start coming down her eyes. And she says, now I understand a little bit about why I had to go through what I went through. Not because I'm something, but she saw God through a lifetime of tears, just as Joseph saw God through 13 years of heartache away from his family. Listen, I want to tell you as I leave this point, God is still good and God is still loving. When the why question is overwhelming, don't give up on God. Keep believing in Him, and He'll see you to the end. Give the Lord a good, a good hand. I'll close with this last passage. You remember when I made the statement... Uh, the title of the message was not just why, but what now? I may not understand the why, but I can choose the what now. And I'm going to read you what Jesus said in Luke 18. Jesus is going to make a good illustration from a bad story. And let's, uh, let's see the point here. Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. What does that mean? Hold on to faith in life's darkest moments. Well, then he tells the story. There's a judge who neither feared God nor cared about people. This is the opposite of our God. And then there's a widow who came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. 
Now, a widow had no rights in the society. Nobody cared for her. Typically, she had no money. If she didn't have children, she was abandoned on the street. Well, let's just surmise just a moment. Let's just say if her husband uh, was a landowner, let's say he had goats and cattle, and she offered to sell them to someone, and the someone took them but didn't pay her money. And she said, give me my money, and he said, I'm not going to. So she's going to the judge. So imagine a scenario like that, uh, she did, and she didn't understand why. Why'd my husband die, and why am I having this mess? But verse 4, the judge ignored her for a, a while, but finally said to himself, she's driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. And then the Lord said this, learn a lesson or a good lesson from a bad judge. Even this bad judge rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God, a good loving God, will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night. Listen, I can guarantee this for my friend that's, that's facing persecution in India. It may not disappear in a day. It may build over time. God, though, though God can change it suddenly, it may not be a one prayer that's got to be prayed. It may be a prayer that's prayed every day and then a prayer that's prayed twice a day and then it's a prayer that's prayed continually because the pressure is so great. But that's what this woman did. Jesus said, will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he's going to grant justice to them quickly. But now listen to this question and I'll close. When the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? In other words, how many will still believe in God when trouble comes and they don't understand why? My friend, it's those who have an enduring faith in God who believe that God is still good and God is still loving, even if my trouble is bad. Come on, give him a good hand today. He's worthy of praise. Why don't you stand to your feet with me today, and I, I want to pray with you today. Next week we'll continue this, Lord willing, and we'll talk about why prayers are sometimes not answered. I want you to bow your head just a moment, and don't think about Cracker Barrel. Don't think about running to Walmart. Don't think about the chicken in the oven. I want you to give the Holy Spirit a moment or two. Because I know that some of you are wrestling with this. Why? And you've wrestled a long time. Some of you have wrestled over the circumstances of, of your life and the way you were born. Some of you have wrestled over why something happened to you bad in your childhood. Some of you have wrestled over losses in life. And you still believe in God, but the why question is always there. And I want to pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would just come and deliver your people. Because Satan has used this to, to besmirch the character of God. He's used the why question to slander a good and loving God who Adam and Eve pushed away yet still loves us because something bad happened. If you're feeling like I'm speaking to you right now and you hear and say, Pastor, I struggle with that why question and I want God to deliver me and free me. I want to love Him with all my heart and I want to run hard after God. I don't want the why question to stop me. Would you just lay, lift your hand real quickly? You don't have to move out of your chair, but just lift your hand real quickly. You know, all of the building. Just lift up both hands to heaven and say, Holy Spirit, I want to give that to you right now. 
I want to give my fears, my misunderstanding, my confusion, my hurt, my disappointment. I want to give all of that to you. And I want to ask you to forgive me if I've ever blamed God. And I want to ask you to just come and deliver me right now. Come on, just pray that right now. Deliver me from the torment of life. And free me from its destructive power in my life. Help me be free. And help me have tenacity. Listen, if you're here today and say, Pastor, I want tenacity. So when I face trouble, I don't want to give up. But I want to have enduring faith like that widow when Jesus comes back. Slip your hands to heaven and just say, God, I just ask you to fill me with your spirit now. And help me to have strong faith to believe, Lord, even with trouble is strong. Don't let me give up. Don't let me quit. Don't let me walk away. But let me be faithful to my God. Because I want to hear you say, well done good and faithful servant. Come on, give the Lord one more good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. We'll close this way. We're going to sing one last song and then dismiss. And if you just don't have an urgent reason to leave, wait till they dismiss you. But I want to ask right now, in just a moment, our prayer team is going to come to the front. They'll pray with you about anything. But if you're here today, and particularly if you lifted your hand and this is a very emotional issue to you, about the why thing in your prayer. Let somebody pray for you. Just Sometimes it's better to pray with somebody with skin on. You know what I'm talking about? But we'd be happy to pray with you. But the most important prayer, and I want you to look at me eyeball to eyeball on this one. If you're here today and say, Pastor, what I need is a real relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and you, you, you know God exists. That's not the problem. You even believe the Bible, but you don't have any real relationship with Him. Can I tell your friend, Adam's sin and my sin and your sin have separated us from God. It's built a wall that's there. But that's the very reason Jesus Christ came to die on the cross. Jesus Christ came to die because we couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't take away our own guilt. We couldn't take away our own shame. But what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago, it was a substitutionary death. He died so I wouldn't have to face eternal judgment. You see, it's like you owed a, 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 a car payment or truck payment. You couldn't make it. And the repo man's coming to get your car. And then Jesus Christ shows up with a check for the exact amount. And the guy takes it and right paid in full on it. Well, guess what? You get to keep your truck because somebody else paid the bill. That's what Jesus did for your sin. He did that 2,000 years ago, and it's real. It's available. Most people in this room have received him and accepted it. But it doesn't become yours personally until you receive Christ as your Savior. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? It's very simple. In a prayer, you commit your life to Christ. In a prayer, you ask God to forgive you for what you've done wrong. In a prayer, you ask the Lord to be the Lord and Savior of your life. In a prayer, you commit to follow Him. And something dramatic happens when you come to God humbly like that. So my friends, we would be honored to pray with you. I'm going to ask if you're here today and you want to give your life to Christ. Or maybe you've gotten away from God and today you want to come back. There's going to be someone standing at this cross to your right that will be there to meet you. And there's something powerful about that short distance you'll walk to that cross. Because it means you're walking away from your past and walking towards Jesus Christ. Let us pray for you. Pastor Zach, go ahead and begin to sing. Our prayer team is coming to the front right now. They're here if you need prayer for anything. But most importantly, if you need to get your life right with God, we'll see you at the cross. I love you and thanks for coming today.